The upper Midwest is often considered a flyover or pass-through area of the country, although the United States Census claims that about 68 million people call this area home. The vast openness and low population can bring comfort to some and hell to others. 48% of homicides in the Midwest go unsolved. I'm Christy. I'm Serena. And, and this, this is Little Crimes, Crimes on the Prairie. Prairie. If you're familiar with Greek mythology, you may have heard of the Fates, or the Marae. The Fates are a group of three weaving goddesses who assign individual destinies to mortals at birth. Their names are Clotho, the Spinner, Lachesis, the Allotter, and Atropos, the Inflexible. I'm sure I pronounced all three of them wrong, but uh, you get the drift. In older mythology, they were the daughters of Nyx. But later, they're more often portrayed as the offspring of Zeus and Themis. In Orphic Cosmogony, their mother is said to have been Ananke, or Necessity. Either way, they had enormous power, and even Zeus was unable to recall their decisions. They're called the Marae, which in ancient Greece means the apportioners, meaning the ones who give to each his own portion of life. Like I said, in the early works, the Fates are the fatherless daughters of Nyx, which is the knight. And the Marae are often associated through Nyx with death. In Orphic Cosmogony, when it's described as they're born from necessity, you kind of get the drift. It's the idea that having a predestined path or a, a fate is the necessity. And in any case, they're usually always pictured as weaving or binding thread. It's the common thread that connects us all and stitches together our tapestries of life. And sometimes they can be reading or writing in the Book of Fate. Intricate details noted in an unchanging, unvarying plan for the lives of the mortals who so clearly need a guided path. In modern Christianity, this is simply God's will, a divine plan for each of us predetermined by God himself. And almost every religion has their own version of fate and where it comes from. But what does it mean, though? The big debate is whether humans actually have free will, if each of our lives is actually predetermined. How are we free to make choices if no matter what we choose was already written in our destiny? Our choices and the results of those choices were already written. A list item to be checked off upon completion. It would mean that we actually have no control over anything and we're just along for the ride, so to speak. It's a rabbit hole I have recently surfaced from. So in order to have free will, God or the fates wouldn't even be able to know about a choice that we were about to make. Otherwise, we don't make that choice. It's already written. So if we believe in God's will or God's plan or fate, whatever you might call it, are our actions and consequences even ours? What if someone can see much more of what is unseeable to the rest of us? And I'm talking about psychics and psychic ability and seeing things we believe that are only for gods to see. Psychics aren't really omniscient anyways, and you'll learn that later on. In recent history, we have sort of embraced the idea of psychic ability. Having visions of the future or the dead in 1650 would find you on trial for witchcraft and put to death, uh, which you would know if you listened to episode 106 about Goody Bassett. Moving on. What was once considered heresy is now a gift to the psychic and to the subject. You can book a psychic for a group reading online, uh, and that's 
saying we've come quite a ways. While there are many believers, there are just as many skeptics. And that's fine. That's a whole different episode. But we'll move on, and they can too if they wish. So can we change what a psychic may see in our future by making different choices? It's all very confusing, and there's no easy answer. At least not one that I could find. I recently spoke with a psychic named Susie, and I was trying to get a little bit more insight into what's going on over there, beyond the veil, on the other side of life, as it were. Things got interesting. Susie had invited me to her beautiful home near Pipestone, Minnesota. It's a quaint ranch-style home with a very inviting and open floor plan. It's just gorgeous. Rustic elegance is how I would describe the interior. It's comfortable and beautifully cohesive. Susie and I spoke as the grandfather clock chimed in the background. The open floor plan created a bit of an echo, but if you listen regularly, you're kind of used to some sketchy audio from me. When did you first realize you were psychic? So, can I start at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. When I was four years old, I had cancer. Oh, okay. I had a Wilms tumor, which is kidney, and they took that out, and they did radiation, chemo, all that stuff. Uh -huh. I, throughout my whole life, I always knew things, or <laughs> felt things, or heard things, or saw things, but it never dawned on me until I was probably in my teens. And then there were times in my life where it wasn't there or I didn't recognize it. I didn't I didn't let it come in. Oh, okay. And then there were times when it was really strong. Oh. And around 2000, I know it was just a little after 2000, but I'm not really good with my dates. Um, I was just working, minding my own business, and this girl just appeared like a vision, except for I could see her and detail in her like I see you. Oh, wow. The pixels probably weren't as sharp as normal viewing, but she told me that her name was Carrie, and she had been murdered. Oh, wow. And she, she showed me what happened. She talked to me continuously, and I didn't know how to shut her off. Yeah. So I went to a psychic, and she said, well, you're a psychic. And I said, um, yeah, but how, how do I stop her? I mean, unless I'm physically doing something, I, I would hear her, see her, and see the crime being committed. May 20th, 2001. Carrie Nelson was found in the office of the Blue Mountain State Park near Laverne, Minnesota, she had been beaten to death with a decorative stone in an apparent robbery. A pack of Doral 100s and a wristwatch with a broken strap laid nearby. Roughly $2,000 and two bank bags were missing from the office. DNA was recovered from the watch and was submitted to CODIS with no hits. Carrie's case went cold and it wasn't until 2006 that the DNA mixture resulted in a potential match. That's... that's that's intense to deal with, like, all the time. <laughs> it was. Yeah. So, it all, like, within a week's period of time, um, this gal said, I, I ran into a friend and she said, um, her parent, her, her mom and her sister's parents had passed away and um, they were seeing a psychic up in the cities. 
And the psychic gave classes. And she said, you know what, Susie, you should go. I went up and I took my daughter, Maggie, with me and we took these classes. And it was one weekend a month for like a year, year and a half. And um, the, the first thing when I walked in the room, the teacher looked at me and said, when are you gonna tell her no to stop? And I'm like, never even dawned on me that I could say stop, that I could say no, I'm not listening anymore. So after those classes were done, probably another six months to a year passed. And then my daughter was still around and um, I called the sheriff's department. And I said, I have some information that I'd like to share. Told them kind of what was going on. They came over to my house. Maggie took notes. I gave them the information that I had. DNA on the watch would be the wife's DNA. That the guy that did it was Randy and what his last name was. And that he was in prison in South Dakota at that time. Mm -hmm. And they, that he was going to get out soon. So what happened was within three weeks... They walked him out of prison, and then they arrested back, right back mm -hmm. in on these other charges, and he was found guilty. I work on quite a few of those cases, and I just worked on one wow. over the winter here. Carrie had just started her second year of working at the Blue Mound State Park. She had graduated from Laverne High School in 1999. She had great friends and a fiancé named Mike. And Mike was actually an old friend of mine. About six years prior, Mike was my boyfriend, and I use that term loosely. Uh, I think it lasted all of three weeks, and after a very emotional and dramatic breakup, which was literally just me crying in the rain, listening to Tony Braxton belt out Unbreak My Heart in 1996, at the time, I was almost 40% sure that I'd never have my heart broken like that again. I think he went to McDonald's. He later dated my best friend, and... I was really surprisingly okay with it. They were a great couple. Mike was a doting boyfriend. I'm sure he cherished Carrie and showed her at every opportunity that she was the center of his whole world. While she should have been making plans for her wedding and her future family, it was taken from her. Even some of our local hoodlums were rumored to have been responsible. In April of 2007, Randy Lee Royal Sweeney was identified as a suspect in Carrie's brutal murder. Investigators questioned Sweeney at the South Dakota prison where he was serving time for grand theft. Sweeney and his wife Dawn had owned a 1984 cream-colored Oldsmobile Delta 88, which fit a witness description of a car driving away from the state park around the time Carrie was killed. Family photos show Sweeney with a similar watch and smoking Doral cigarettes. Two out of the five DNA profiles from the watch came back. One belonged to Sweeney, the other likely to his wife. In 2007, Sweeney was charged with first-degree murder. His trial took place in July and August of 2008. Sweeney maintained his innocence, but the DNA, latent fingerprints, photos, and witness testimony compelled a jury to find Sweeney guilty. Well, if all of that's true, Susie is damn accurate. Never, I don't have to go anyplace. Yeah. All I have to do is make a connection. So what I do, and when I start my readings, I tell people I can, I can communicate with pe people who have passed, but I also communicate, can communicate with people that are still here, Alzheimer's, ALS, 
people that can't speak for themselves. Sometimes it's small children. I tell who they are by where they stand. So when I'm looking at you, it'd be your left side is your dad's side and your right side is your mom's side. Your dad would be on your left shoulder and your mom on the right. And then next to them are their siblings and then the people that they marry. And whether there's a divorce in there or not, those people are still in that family tree. Oh. So you have your parents with your aunts and uncles next to them and then their friends. Up a step are your grandparents, dad's side, mom's side. Off the shoulder is significant other, spouse. Say you lived with someone for, you know, was in love and lived with someone. Um, anybody you've had a child with, they're like a shard of light next to your shoulder. And then next to them are your siblings and the people that they marry. And sometimes these people's, these significant other people, sometimes their family will jump in there. Oh. From, their, from the shoulder down to my knee are kids that have been lost by you or anybody in the group. And then below the knee are babies that have been lost, things like that. So that's how I tell who I'm talking to oh. by where they stand. Wow. Like you should have your own ancestry. <laughs> like you'd be like, oh, you don't even need to look it up. I'll tell you. <laughs> that's awesome. It is. It's and, and so like, so the the people that you talk to, what state are they when you, you know, I guess, yeah, what state are they? Well, you know, I only work with the light, so I'm not going to deal with, like, demonic things or... So there's a difference in... Oh, yeah. In presence. Yes. Okay. Yes. Or in, like, appearance even? You know, it's funny you should ask because they always say we leave our physical body. Yeah. But for some reason, I can see what the physical body looked like when they were here. Okay. Um, this Carrie... When I saw her, I mean, I could describe the clothes she was wearing, but I didn't know that that's what she was wearing at the time. Right. Her hair color, the the finer things about her, I mean, yeah. So they're, the way you see them are is like what their physical body looked like when they were here. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's... Can, can I say something about that? Yeah. I can have a... Uh, a man that dies at 80 and he might present himself as a 17 year old but I will get the the feel of his age I'm not always sure if I see it first or if I just know it right but I can see him there but they usually show me when they look looked and felt their best right and I want to say something about women Women that pass at an older age, when they show me themselves, and it isn't at that age of passing, it's usually around that 40 yeah. to 45 years of age. And that's, that's amazing that you would think that that's, you know, when they were there at their best. Yep. It, and I can't wait <laughs> to get there. <laughs> like, I, hope, I hope I get there someday. It's, uh, it's been a struggle, that's, that's for sure. So, um... So the information that's conveyed to you, is that that's through what, like images in your mind or is it something that 
something different. Sometimes it's images. Sometimes it's smells. Sometimes it's um, a feel like, let's say someone is in a car accident and they have a head trauma. I'll feel that head trauma for a second. If it's in their physical body, like let's say a heart attack, I'll feel that in my chest for a second. Ah, that's, <laughs> I bet that's scary sometimes if um, it's a particularly traumatic injury, I'm, I'm assuming that that's, uh, can be a little painful. Yep, and sometimes I just know. Yeah, I, I can imagine that some are, are a little different than others as far as um, strength or, or Yes. Is that what is that what you would call it? Yep. And and what they can show me. Right. And how well they Yes. How well they articulate to me or or uh give me the feel. Okay. And it is like a faucet running and I'm only catching parts of it because I'm listening and then I'm talking. Right. And I'm feeling and I'm talking. When are the times that it, it gets overwhelming for you? I feel like I have enough control over it now that I can just say, no, not today, or no, not now. But I want to tell you something. I've been having a guy come through since yesterday, and he's either for you or he's for, I'm having a group reading tomorrow uh-huh. for someone there. Oh. And, and I'm kind of curious, okay. and I want to ask you. So I was taken by surprise when she said this. I was expecting a conversation about her experiences. So at this point, I had probably been there about 20 minutes or so, but I could tell she was experiencing something. She was mostly relaxed, but there was something she seemed slightly distracted by. At times, it almost seemed as if she was feeling a bit uncomfortable, like she was holding a deep breath or something and just had to let it out. The interview turned into a reading of sorts. I'm only going to add portions of the reading I received. Um, There's... A lot of personal things discussed, and I'd like to just keep them to myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Let's do it. So I'm getting that coughing feeling. So I feel like, to me, what that means is somebody's holding back, and I think it's someone here, like you. Just, just a minute. This male came to me yesterday. And his, his name is either, and I, not, I usually don't say names, but his name either starts with an R or a D. And it either sounds like Ronald or Donald to me. Do you know who this is? Robert? It could be. It could be. They, go, they have one name, but they go by another. So if it's Robert, it'd be Bob. No. Well, maybe, maybe someone may have called Or Rob or something like that. Rob, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, his friends. Now I'm going to say this. I don't have any Ronald or Donald connections, but I offered Robert because I literally started looking into his case again just a few days before this. I mean, there's no way it could have been anyone else but Robert because honestly, I had a dream about him the night before too. One of those dreams you can only remember like a tiny bit of. He's just standing there by the stairs in his parents' house which is probably the last place I saw him when I was like 11 or 12. Could have been younger. He was just standing there, and he just nodded his head yes slightly. That's all I really remember. And you're going to hear about Robert's case in a future episode. Here's what else we talked about. 
And uh, who is he to you? Is he off to the side in your same generation? It, he is my stepdad's godson. He, a cousin of mine. I, I, he was a few years older than me. He grew up quite a ways away, but I, I knew him and I always thought he was really, really cool. Yeah, there, there's a thing with him. So is he in that, he, when you say he's a few years older, He's not like 20 years old. No, no. So he, he's in that same yeah, generation. Yep. Off the shoulder. Yep. Right here. Yeah, okay. It's generational when yeah. I see him. Okay. Um, he's further out. Yeah. So I'm assuming that it's him. Yeah, probably. Um, and I just started a thing. That's why I thought that was crazy that you said that. So he's been coming through to me. And... You know, I just tell him, just wait, just wait. But I keep hearing this. It's either R or a D name, like I said. And while I'm, while I was talking to you, the top of my head hurt. Do you know how he passed? Yeah, blunt force trauma. To the head? Yes. There you go. He does this. I'm tapping uh, sh left shoulder, middle. Well, left shoulder, collarbone, collarbone, and right shoulder, which tells me that he was broken, spiritually broken. Does that make sense to you? It does a little, yeah. And he wants you to know that he's okay. Okay. He's taking responsibility for his own passing, which does not necessarily mean suicide. Okay. Um, he did something like a chain of events and sometimes it can be as innocent as you get in the car with someone that's had a drink or something like that. And that will put you in that situation. I don't know exactly how he passed except for he shows me that it was head injury. It's interesting. Because he is taking responsibility for his own passing. Okay. And, and without getting into great detail on that, you said he's like a cousin removed. Mm -hmm. Is he way out there? Well, he's my stepdad's cousin. Oh, your stepdad. Yeah. Okay. So he would be like my second cousin or however that works. Okay. I think what he's trying to show me is that separation. I get a separation. I have to ask about something with an M. It feels like a word and not a name. Like he's saying marginal. Do you know what he's talking about? I don't. I don't know what that would mean. And he says the book is closed. That he, he's just been written off. Yeah, was, there was a article a year later and they have not received it. The family has not received any updates. So that's how that works. This episode is brought to you by Wild Gallery. Wild Gallery is the only gallery in Austin, Texas that features incredible artwork created exclusively by Native American artists. This high quality original artwork is more than aesthetic. These are statement pieces. Go to Wild Gallery, that's W Y L D dot gallery, 
and take a stroll on the wild side. When you support Native American artists, you're allowing the cultivation of opportunities, careers, and livelihoods. These artists inspire their communities to rise up and get involved. The collective creators in Native American communities are doing more than just inspiring awareness. They are crucial to the momentum of the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women movement. Indigenous artisans create more than a picture to look at. They lend their voices to their communities to incessantly demand better. Help show support to our Indigenous sisters and brothers. Go to Wild Gallery and get inspired. You won't be disappointed. This artwork is amazing. I mean, the holidays are just around the corner and you're going to find that perfect gift at wild.gallery. That's W-Y-L-D.gallery. So does this ever, does this ability ever impact your relationship with other people? Absolutely. I'm also an empath, which uh -huh. there's a lot of people that are. I can walk into a room and I can know right away. There's people I, I call them stinky. They oh. got, I don't want to be around them. Oh, wow. And then, of course, those are usually the ones that I'm drawn to because empaths want to help everybody. Right. But I tried to give that fixing people up a long time ago and just, just put it out there. And if they want to right. use it and work with it, they can. Right. That's, that's understandable. Do you have like a, oh, maybe like a routine after, you know, you do like a group reading or something where you need to come home and... Defrag? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I'm usually, I'm just shot. I usually, with a group reading, I read usually about 20 people in two hours, and it's just like bang, 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 and I'm being pulled all over the room. And as you can imagine, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, so sometimes they don't stand where they're supposed to because they have something to say. Sometimes they're really pushy. <laughs> Does, does that have, have a correlation with how they were in their real life, for lack um, of a better term, I guess? You know, I'm not sure that it always does, but I can usually get a, a good shot of their personality. <laughs> yeah. Like whether they were pushers or not, or bossy, or they ran the show. <laughs> we just did a episode of Listener Submitted Stories. Oh, yeah. So that was really fun. We were talking about how, well... It, uh, a listener had sent in a story about her sister harassed a psychic to <laughs> the point where he, he had to like go to her bar and then he ended up at this after party where she was and it just kind of harassed this man to the point he had to meet her sister and so it happened like that and we, we kind of joked that I would be a harasser <laughs> spirit um, when my time comes you can be sure of it that'll be me. <laughs> Out of my way, <laughs> Susie. <laughs> so this is how I handle that because I do get that. Yeah. Where someone will say to me, my, yeah, my mom needs a reading. And what I say is spirit because I'm not, this stuff is not coming from me. So I tell my spirit who, my spirit and like your spirit, we're just talking. Oh. And I'm listening, and I'm getting the information. I mean, I think that's how it works. Yeah. And I say, if you want that person to come to me, you need to figure out how you're going to get them here. I'm not going to chase anybody down, and I'm not going to. I feel that if people feel the need, that they'll come to me. She sent in the story because she saw that I was going to be interviewing you, so she thought she would put in her, her little thing about her experience with a psychic, which 
you know, she ended up being friends with this guy. She's friends with this guy. Like, yeah. he helped raise her daughter. And it, it's just all kind of serendipitous, I guess, yeah. if you, you know. See, and I always think that, too. There's no coincidences. No, I don't think so, either. We all meet for a reason. Things right. happen, good, bad, or indifferent, for a reason. And if it's just a life lesson, it's just a life lesson. Sometimes it's a life friendship. You know, I feel like sometimes I don't even pick the stories. They just kind of pick me. I, I think even sometimes I put it off almost until the last very minute where I'm like, oh, hey, i got to think of a story to do, you know? <laughs> like, and then boom, it's Yeah. There. yeah it, um, so I have something to say about what I do. Uh-huh. When I took that class, there were 15 people in that class. I was the only one predisposed to this. And we were all doing readings by the end. They brought in like 50 people. And we read the room up there in the cities. I want to say, with, through meditation and shutting down your self-talk, which is usually negative. I can't do this. This is too hard. Um, I'm not good enough. That type of crap. You shut that down. And then you listen to your guides. You connect with your guidance, with your angels, with your higher, whatever it is you believe in, mm -hmm. which is God for me. But that's that's how I connect. Huh. Are there are there various gods? Is it dependent on the person? Like for you, there's only God. But for me, maybe there's somewhat. It's a different form of God. Or absolutely. So that's... I, I think as long as we know there's a higher, there's something bigger out there than us. Some people put it, you know, the buffalo. Some people put it on God. Some people put it on a bag of potato chips. I don't care. As yeah. long as you know that there's something out there bigger than you. Right. That has the ability to um, have power over you. I think that's important. It yeah, there's definitely something bigger out there. It's a woman. <laughs> no, no, no lie. I'm like, oh, I just imagine like, yeah, like if you've ever seen the movie Dogma, I imagine like Alanis Morissette just like looking over everyone, <laughs> and hoping that might for be, the best. That you know? might be. You know, it's it's the perspective. A lot of our life is perspective. That's my word for the year, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. It's how you view things. Have you ever, like, spoke with God? Has, has God ever spoken to you? Oh, sure. And you hear it. Well, clearly. I don't hear it like, hey, Susie. Everything I hear is like, it's intuition. It's that knowing. And there's, there's some religious people that have a problem with that. But, you know, I pray every night, and I'm praying to God. So am I speaking to God? Yeah. Is he telling, is he speaking back to me? I think he is. I think that he's, he's reassuring me that I'm on my right path and that I need to keep going with what I do. And almost in order to have a relationship with a, with a higher being, you, you almost have to expect that they're going to communicate back to you. You know, that's got to be kind of one of the one of the goals of having a, a relationship with a higher power, right? Or I would think so. I mean, like that's ultimately what you seek is their, is their advice and their right. And I don't need to go through guidance. Like you, like you said, you know, I feel like I don't need to go through a minister or, um, another person to get that. I don't think anybody has to. I've always felt that way. 
I don't know. I, I always just feel like, you know, a spiritual connection should, should always be inclusive. For It's for everybody. It's not just for me. It's, That's true. It's for everybody. So, And what he wants is, or she wants, is the best for us. And even when I talk to spirit and do readings, that all that bitterness, dislike for someone, that's all washed away on the other side. People have a hard time with that when I say, you know, your dad's here. And, and they say, you know, he, he did this and he did that. Well, he's not coming here as that person. He's coming here as your dad, a man that wants you to do your best, that loves you mm -hmm. and is proud of you and is giving you um, information to move forward or to get over your past. Yeah. And people, Don't. people have a hard time separating. They, they, they like to hold on to that stuff. Oh, yeah. And I think that's what I found most interesting in talking to a lot of new people is yeah, that a lot of people are, they have certain things that they hold on to and they just can't accept that maybe it, it wasn't like that at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you. you. I can sit down with the whole family and they'll argue about who took the olive off the other person's plate. And that's not the deal, guys. Yeah, it's... The, you're still... You're stuck there. You need yeah. to move forward. And that's what they want us to do. They want us to move forward. Right. I always... And I always wonder, too, like... So they do visit us? Like... Oh, yeah. They're around us a lot? Absolutely. So what I get, usually, like when I'm doing a reading, a lot of people aren't aware of everything that's going on around mm -hmm. them. But I can hear like noises like tapping noises. Sometimes I get a smell and that smell, I'll, I'll know, you know, like it smells like a guy that never showered and worked in a, <laughs> in a, as a mechanic or as a farmer or they show me their hands. And then I can say, I can smell your dad or your dad smoked and uh -huh. you'll be walking down the hall and you'll get a whiff of him. You step back and it's gone. That's him letting you know that he's there. He's there with you. The tapping noises. Sometimes people dream. I'm not a big dreamer, and I don't remember my dreams. So even if something were to happen, when I, I, yeah. I don't know. When I dream, I do. I When I dream, I do remember them. And they're very Real vivid. vivid. Yeah, they, they've always been. I, I used to dream a lot more than I do now, but I think... You're just not remembering them all. I think I think that's part of it, too. I think also that I'm, I'm probably more at peace now than I've ever been yeah. in my life. <laughs> so I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you consider yourself a fixer? I used to be. Good. I, I, I was to just going to say that. I was going to say, once you give up on fixing yep. situations and people that can't be fixed until they decide to be fixed, then you're going to be struggling. I mentioned omniscient earlier, and that's really just the fancy word for all-knowing, all-seeing. Psychics aren't really omniscient. They get trickles of information. I think that even if you don't believe in psychics or mediums, I think that if it makes people feel better or brings about a sort of healing process after losing a loved one, I think that's okay. I think we can all agree we have weird ways of dealing with different things in our lives. 
I brought up my late husband as I had a question, and this is what happened after that. It was a little emotional, and that's okay. I haven't seen him in my dreams as much, so it's nice to know that he checks in on me every once in a while. I first, I want to say that he's proud of you. Oh. And I feel the love in my heart. I really, I, I call it a waning heart, where my heart just kind of aches when you're first in love with somebody, and you get that ache in your chest. I have that feeling. I'm sorry, I'm going to make you cry, and then we're going to be... It'll be all right. Okay, so um, he shows me pine trees. I don't know exactly what that has to do with. Is there a picture of him by pine trees? They look like pine yep. trees to me. Yeah, yeah. that was the last picture we took together. I take it there's some religious... Did he commit suicide? Yeah. So I just want to say he's in heaven. There's no question about that. That's good. And he, he says there's some people that would think that I wouldn't be. As a matter of fact, I was just talking with, with a friend of mine about like what heaven would be like for Eric. <laughs> I was thinking like, if you- I think a lot of hunting and stuff like that. I, I, um, think, I think that, but I think also if like the minute he started singing, like a full band would start playing, you know, like I think that, like I just, you know, I, I just think that and, and it cracks me up. So what's the W? That's his last name. Do you have a W somewhere in your house? Uh, no, no. Do you see W's? Sometimes, sometimes I, I'll see a monogram W and it'll just kind of, sometimes. Make you think of him? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what he's showing me. He's showing me a W and I feel like there's a connection between you and the seeing a W. Yeah, there's so many pretty W's out there, you know. Yeah, a W would make a pretty one. Do you live alone? No. Well, he's a tough one here. <laughs> Do you find yourself sometimes drawn to certain people as far as like friendships go, other certain people, other than fixing people? <laughs> you know, what's really funny is I have like two friends and one I talk to probably once a year yeah. and, and she's, she lives in town. Oh, wow. sometimes we text, you know, uh -huh. once every month or two, uh -huh. but stop and chit-chat chit with her every once in a while. And um, then I have another friend and she's the one I do most things with. She travels with me. I travel with her when I do these group readings, um, things like that. So I'm, I keep my circle really small and I find that people are attracted to me because yeah. of what I can do, and like they think that I'm something spectacular. Oh, I see what you mean, yes, yeah, so, I see what you mean. And I've had stalkers. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah let's not get one of those. Yeah, <laughs> I had two of them actually in one year, and both of them ended up on my door. Just, yeah, and my husband was out in the shop. Well, I mean, is it I was terrified? Was I got it, my conceal and carry after yeah. that. Yeah, had you done a reading and yeah. and they were just like that wasn't enough for them. Yeah, like they wanted to carry you around as like their loved one almost. Uh, like, yeah, I think like well, a version of it. I think what they wanted was to attach. Yeah, to attach. I think they wanted to attach to me, but maybe it was their loved one. I'm not quite sure. All I know is. It took me a long time to um, get rid of them. 
and I didn't yeah. like that. Yeah, I suppose not. Yeah, there's got to be some boundaries. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that and would that's be... the bad part of inviting him into my home for a reading. Right. Well, and I suppose you know, yeah, you're you're kind of their only, their only connection. Yeah, to to who they want, you know, who they love or miss or, oh my gosh, yeah. They just carry you around in a suitcase, Susie. <laughs> oh, it was creepy. Yeah, I suppose it, it was. was. So, like, how did you ultimately like rid yourself of that? Well, one guy, I walked out of my house probably five times. I walked him out, turned around, and when I went to close the door behind me, he was right behind me. Like I said, my husband was in the shop. I was giving the guy a reading. I gave me chills. I don't like that. I don't I, like any of that at I all. I finally <laughs> got him out the door, and I just latched the door. And then he kept calling and stuff like that. And Like I said, I finally went and got my conceal and carry, and um, the other guy got removed from his job. So now I want to talk about Pamela Dunn. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. So I'm in Cranceburg, and um, this is probably a year and a half, two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, the gal up there sells the tickets. I have no idea who's coming. Up to 30 people. Uh-huh. And Pam Dunn's sister. Oh, yeah. Okay. Came. And the funny thing is, is I didn't know nothing about Pam Dunn. And I asked the gal who's lived there her whole life. Uh -huh. I said, "Who's this Pam? She's she's missing. Who's this Pam?" I and and she keeps coming to me and she keeps showing me that she leaves this apartment. Okay. An older vehicle, and I can't remember what color. An apartment or was in an apartment, and she got in the car with these two. Mm -hmm. They took her out to this junkyard area, uh -huh. and I did this over a map. They got me a map, I got the thing out. I have I have no fucking idea about anything up there. Uh -huh. And I got this little hot spot here. Well, it's an old junkyard. Yeah. And I said, there's something curved around. I, it, I feel like there's a curve around, and that there's stuff all around this curve around, and then there was a house here, but it's not there. And then, like, a chicken coop or a hog, thing and there's pieces of cement out there. This is what she showed me. She went with these people and the idea was to drink and party. And I think one was a Native American who is no longer alive and the other one was white. And I feel like he's still alive, but he's an alcoholic and doesn't get anything done. Hmm. She knew these guys? Yeah. Really? They have connections to her. Hmm. And then she was just off, off. I feel like over the years, I mean, I, okay, so when I say that I have this, mm -hmm. this information, I've spoken with, I can't remember what the, the deputy or uh -huh. sheriff or whatever yeah. it was up there. Well, I worked on that one in Kenyon, uh, Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you were talking and, about that And um, he went missing last October, mm. about this time. And um, he had stole a truck. A, from someone's work site. Uh -huh. He had a trailer on it. He stopped at um, his sister's house and packed his shit up. And I kept seeing a blue, one of those blue barrels, plastic uh -huh. barrels, and a tote, like a green tote. And she said they were on that trailer. Well, they found his vehicle, like out in the middle of nowhere, just on the side of the road, with no trailer. Huh. They looked all over. So either the crops were in, or the crops were out, right? Mm-hmm. 
Couldn't find him anywhere. They, everybody was out there looking for him. Couldn't find him. Anyway, um, I suppose it was January, February, probably February. His sister contacted me and said, we're looking for uh, my brother. Nobody's seen him. And, and I said, you know, there's something going on here. They found the truck, but they didn't find the trailer. I see the trailer and him being placed in like a granary type, garage type, I'm, in, I'm, a, I'm on a farm. Uh -huh. And I feel like he's in, in there, but he's been decapitated. He's not a very big guy, I find out. Okay. He's like five foot two. Oh, wow. Five foot five, something like that. So I tell her what, what the place looks like and I actually draw what I see and take a picture of it and I send it to her and they start looking and about, I suppose it was June when they found him. Maybe it was May. But they told the family, we found him 500 feet from that truck. A farmer found him in his field. What? Yeah. But they didn't find him. Right. In wow. the fall. Right? Huh. Either they could see him in the fall. Or they. Or they drove over him in the fall. Right? Right. right. Okay. So now that we got that squared away, that doesn't make sense at all. Right. And I had told her, I felt as though he had left this, his child's birthday party to hook up with a guy and a gal. The gal's Hispanic and the guy's white. And they were going to make meth. And, and she said he had a meth problem and that they shot him and then decapitated him. Ah. And about two weeks before he was found, the, she texts me and she said, Susie, I'm, I, I can't hear him talking to me anymore. Can you? And I said, no. Because she, oh, okay. she felt as though her and her sisters were communicating with him. Oh. And that they were onto something. Okay. And then it just stopped. And mine just stopped. Wow. And I said, I think he's been moved. So I called up the sheriff again and I said, I don't know what's going on, but he stopped talking. I think you're going to be finding him here pretty quick. Two weeks, she, she calls me up probably, it was probably more like a week, week uh -huh. and a half. She calls me up and she said, Susie, they found his body. They won't release it. They said no foul play is, is uh, what? It, his body still hasn't been released and the FBI is involved. Wow. Holy shit. Like, right? Yeah. The chime on the grandfather clock signaled it had been two hours since I got there. We had a great conversation. I don't think that's going to be the last we hear of Susie. So much thanks to Susie the Psychic. I'll leave you all with that for today. And so like and subscribe and follow us on Facebook or Twitter. And if you have any cool stories, send them in. Bye.